Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for Savage Critics website. The conclusion to episode 57 is here. It's around 80 minutes, and it is jam-packed with comic book discussion and reviews from Graham McMillan and myself. We talk a ton of books, including Batwoman number one, Mr. Terrific number one, Legion Lost number one, Superboy number one, Uncanny X-Force number 15, Punisher Max number 17, Criminal Last of the Innocent number four, Journey into Mystery 627, Drifting Classroom, Bakuman, and as you'd probably expect, Fear Itself number six. So let's jump right to it, right here in mid-conversation. Thanks for listening. Hey, talking, uh, talking about um, competent and yet not especially good, mm-hmm. did you read Legion Lost? I didn't. Boy, this is... Graham, it really would be easier to reverse engineer this in a way, but, okay, but yes, well, no, I did not tell me more. See, I think that's, that's, that's the smarter way to go, yes. So that means I talked about Demon Knights, which I liked, and now I get to talk about Batman. Uh, Batwoman. Sorry, Batwoman, sorry. J.H. Williams, Hayden, W. Hayden Blackman. Um, looked, jeez, wow, did that look lovely. But, uh, and, and some of the panel layouts, just great like seriously like after spent telling everybody exhorting everyone to go out and buy a uh, wolverine one shot for 3.99 just because david Ajay's work was amazing and the storytelling was great uh it's pretty hard for me to 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 like totally diss batwoman number one um but i found it weird i found it a really weirdly paced comic you know like I, I'm also a little weirded out. It helps that prior to this, before reading Batwoman number one, like over the weekend, I had bought during the Batman 101 sale, like Detective Comics, like 29 through 31, which mm-hmm. I read it ago, and or maybe it's 28 through 31. So it's like Batman's first earliest Bob Kane and uh, Bill Finger esque appearances. Super so amateurish but in like and kind of fun and there's like toward the end of those first five issues you've got like one story that's like maybe 11 pages long where batman is like fighting a gorilla and werewolves and he's hanging from a helicopter and he's in romania which i mean is that is that the mystery man one uh it it is the one that matt wagner then like spun out into two series yeah, more or less. I mean, okay. it's it is it's the it's the second of the two series, the Mad Monk. Um, okay. It's the conclusion of the Mad Monk storyline, which had and it's got it's got vampires, it's got a death trap. Like I said, it's got a, a, the fucking gorilla, and it was really crude and amateurish, but it was it was kind of fun, and I think that helped me because my first reaction upon reading Batwoman number one, along with the second, the previous storyline, is I'm like. Wait, there's another supernatural enemy that Batwoman has to face. Like, it just seemed weird to me, you know. Like, I. But well, I, I, th- like, I think that's the way that Batwoman's going to go. I think Batwoman th- is going to be like spooky Batman. Yeah, I think it is going to be spooky Batman adventures. And the weird part is, I was like, you can't have spooky Batman. And then I realized, like, you know, I had I saw him like shooting vampires and werewolves. And <laughs> I've I'm just like, seen spooky Batman. <laughs> I know. I saw spooky Batman. You know, from 1938 was pretty awesome. So I kind of, I guess I had that that recent Graham McMillan experience of I read it the first time and I didn't like it so much, and then I read it the second time and realized I actually did like it. Whereas um, for me, I read it the first time, didn't like it so much, and then I read it the second time, and I didn't like it so much. Yeah. See. Okay. There we go. 
Um, in part because, and this this is where I made my fatal fatal error. Oh. I read it the first time, and I was like, I actually don't remember what happened with Batwoman. I'm going to go back and read Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams' original Batwoman run. Big mistake. Terrible idea, because, yeah. no offense, Hayden Blackman and J.H. Williams, you're no Greg Rucka. Yeah. The well, writing it. is so much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just to the point where there's just things that felt clumsy the first time, and right. then when you read it, after reading Rock again, you're just like, oh, oh, this is the clumsiest, clumsiest thing you could have done. Yeah. And just doesn't feel true to the characters. The mm-hmm. the confrontation between Kate and her father mm-hmm. does not feel even vaguely honest compared with the relationship before. It really does. They're, they're being estranged, sure. But the confrontation, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and really, like, my mistake, honestly, was going back and reading The Rocker Run. Mm-hmm. Because it just emphasized everything that's wrong with the writing of this run. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it just. It, it, that didn't work for me. And also, there's honestly parts of the art that didn't work for me. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. Like, I was, I was surprised by the stuff that got biffed. Um, in this, which is apparently my word of the week. Biff, um, like you're using, I don't remember you using Biff half as much as you're using it this week. I know. Well, I guess because I see things where I'm like, like this is the Biff week. Yeah, it's the Biff week where it's like, oh, it's so close, and yet it doesn't work. And this one, especially, I mean, I, I have to jump back and say because I did check out the Batwoman hardcover out of the library like maybe a month ago and never got mm-hmm. around to discussing it, and I. I thought Rucka's treatment of of Kate's dad is he's like he was like one of my favorite characters in like recent comics. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. really weird. Like I was like, this is a great character. There's there's something like it's understated, but everything about it just works. And so when he shows up in that one scene, and he's got that terrible mouthful of ending dialogue where he says something like, "You're in a great deal of pain. I understand that, but we soldier on, Kate. We soldier on." I was like. That's terrible. Like, I, it really and also, was. that line gets so much worse if you've just read the Rocker thing, mm. where he says that in the past. Like, he says that in the Rocker run, and you get the feeling from what Kate said just before that, right? that it's what he says to get through pain. And so for to have him say it there and to have him say it like that mm-hmm. just feels really cheap. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, it just... There just was so much that could have slash should have been better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's it was probably you know it's probably a good book but when you compare it with what's come before mm-hmm. the writing is significantly worse and the art honestly feels a little bit worse as well yeah I thought so too I mean there's there's just scenes where like that scene where they change clothes and then they're running out on the rooftops yeah I just I thought that was really like poorly done like i'm i'm shocked by how dy- how hard williams tries to make the page look ultra dynamic but something that should be such a slam dunk for him sort of that colon-esque sort of stop motion multi-movement panel thing just really looked 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 embarrassingly bad to me like especially with the shot of them where it looks like they're just kicking their feet up in the air for no reason whatsoever like mm. it's re- really kind 
kind of embarrassing. So I don't know. I I was shocked that I was disappointed. I reread it and I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to handle this if I can get around the spooky Batman angle. But whereas I actually had no problem with the spooky Batman angle. My problem was yeah, the characterizations. The characterization just doesn't ring true for me. Um, and maybe it will. Like I'm going to get the next few issues because I I. I guess this is the book I want to see succeed. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I'm going to give it a lot more patience and, and a lot more time than I would other ones. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what I really loved about Batwoman before was the rocket writing and was the pace and subtlety of it. <laughs> and all of that is gone in this issue. Well, I, I mean, I'll be on to the pace and the pace. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's weird. I, I actually gave up on that first Batwoman run. I don't know, maybe three or four issues in. I was just bored. I think I've told you I've had problems with Rucka. For whatever, I, 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 I adore the man in the abstract, and always find myself kind of bored and frustrated in the particulars more often than not. But this one struck me as, yeah, as a step down, which is kind of fascinating. I mean, that being said, I read, I read the, that trade, and that is, it's really frustrating because it feels so truncated, you know? Like, if you read the, the, as I'm sure you must have when you read it, it feels like it's just cut short, you yeah, know? It yeah, just, it really does. It feels like the start of something, then all of a sudden it's done. Yeah, it's just, it's just pulled to an end, and it's like, whoa, whoa, what? So there's a real driving off the bridge thing that's a, that's a little painful that I think if we had been having, you know, if we'd gotten, you know, another year or two years of that, it would be like the stuff that they were building toward would have played out. But I think it's clear that this is more the direction that Williams wants to go in for whatever reason. And uh, I guess, I, I mean, I guess it's sort of going to be, yeah, some weird alternative like almost like hellboy you know what i mean like it's going to be like oh spooky people punching stuff atmospheric you know <laughs> i feel that's a t-shirt you should have made up <laughs> <laughs> um so yes so we here concludes my my reading of the dc books Please. oh you've, you've missed a bunch then i know i know i didn't bother oh, with and here's uh, the thing i think you missed the best ones of the week really tell me yep. more uh, well, I'll go through the other ones first. I'll lead up to the best ones of the week. Resurrection Man is... It exists. It, it gives a new spin to the character. Other than that, I was really pretty bored of it. Okay. Um, anyone who liked Resurrection Man before, he's back. Um, anyone who didn't, I really hope you got something more out of this than I did. Um, yeah, it was, it was... It existed. Mm. I can't say much more better than that Mr. Terrific didn't quite live up to this listen which if you remember didn't be loved it's yeah. just unhealthily happy um, but it's an okay book it, it's it, it, the gimmick is okay um, I like that in that it's a character who is still driven by the death of his wife it's actually a remarkably upbeat book hmm, that's good um I, I'm probably going to keep getting it. I, I actually enjoyed it enough. The, it's another one where the cliffhanger is completely rushed and completely doesn't work because the cliffhanger is something, someone has done something to alter 
Mr. Terrific's personality, which would work if it wasn't a 20-page first issue. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, of all the cliffhangers, that's not the one to go with on your first issue when you're introducing the character. Well, Because there's not really enough for you to be like, well, maybe he is just a dick. Right, right. Well, it kind of feels to me like that's their... um, It's a variation of what was going on in the Deathstroke thing, of like, we're setting you a new status quo, and the twist is it's not really the new status quo, you know? So, or is it, you know? And I think that's... uh, that could be viable, but yeah, for uh, it makes more sense in Deathstroke than it does here with a personality twist. It'd just be like, what? What? I mean, that's well, it's, it's personality twist is essentially that he's being possessed. There is a villain going around who is uh, ramping up the negative emotions of characters, mm-hmm. um, and he does it to Mister Terrific at the end. And Mister Terrific essentially just turns into a dick. And, like, the, the next issue blurb even pretty much gives it away because it says something like, says he quickly turning to it, Ned's Michael Holt, terrorist, plus the man who will change Mr. Terrific's life forever, the villain called Brainstorm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, so that's clearly not Mr. Terrific. Um, but I, I, I kind of like it. I, I really did kind of like it. I like that he is, especially compared with the treatment he's getting in Justice Society before they get cancelled, um, He's getting treated so much better because the, the the thing in Justice Society, which I don't think anyone actually realized could seem so racist, was so he's the third smartest man in the DC universe. Oh right, and, and someone made him a moron. That was right. his storyline. Someone was yeah. taking away his intelligence. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't uh, read or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is just like really, you're going to do that to like your premier black character? In the, no, in the no, it's really, it's really Oops. a huge mistake. Um, whereas here he's just you know he's just kind of an ass kicking superhero he's pretty much if Iron Man wasn't a dick right which, well, which know, I think is, is a nice direction to go in and I I like the supporting char- characters they introduced I like the twist on the origin they gave him which is essentially he his son who didn't exist comes back from the future Mm-hmm. and basically says don't give up hmm. and then disappears hmm. which is a, a, a potentially interesting mystery for them to unravel yeah absolutely um, so it's it's fun Power Girl shows up as a supporting character mm-hmm. which I don't think many people expected and also not as Power Girl as her secret, secret identity so you don't know if she is Power Girl that seems to be the second week DC new DC gambit. It seems to me. Yeah, because Caitlin's in in Superboy. Yeah. Um, okay, so Mister Terrific, pretty good. Uh, right. Grifter is is all right. It's Grifter is a TV show that is waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. This Grifter, hence the title, um, I accidentally stumbles onto the set of Invaders of the Body Snatchers. The end. Like it's it's a pilot episode. Um, oh, I see. Right. Okay. It's it's fine. <laughs> if you mean you he actually it, stumbles into invasion. No, what I what should I actually happen? Not, not the set of because it's, yeah, it's no, not no, like no, the no, player or something. That'll be hilarious. Entourage with guns. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> no, he, he gets kidnapped by an alien to be replaced, and he escapes. Mm-hmm. And so they set out basically trying to ruin his reputation. As a result of him being kidnapped, for some reason he could recognize that the aliens are out there. 
Right. But he can't necessarily recognize who the aliens are, which is a nice twist. Oh, that's cool. So, for example, he's on a plane and he's like, oh, fuck, they're here. And it turns out they're all over the place. And they're like, we have to kill you now. That's nice. Um, that could work. It's, it's Yeah, it's it could work. It's As in first issue, it's okay. I think it's one of those things that you have to fall in love with the formula. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's nothing really in the first issue that you'd be like, oh, my God, this is spectacular. Um, but it's nice enough. Uh, Legion Lost is the one that is completely competent, but tries pack so much in that it actually is hard to read. Mm. So much happens in issue one. <laughs> really? um, well, a character comes back from the 31st century carrying a plague that he is going to unleash in the 21st century. The Legion follow him back. Something goes wrong in, time, in the time stream so that they arrive back and they have no way of getting home. Meanwhile, okay. the character does unleash the, this virus. Uh, the Legion goes to get him. When they try and take him home using his time machine, something goes wrong. Two Legionnaires die, and they're all stranded in the past. Hmm. In 20 pages. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty speedy. <laughs> that's a lot. And it's actually a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it sort of tumbles over itself a lot. Right. Um, the dialogue is not spectacular, in part because it really overplays the, hey, Legionnaires have different words for swearing thing. <laughs> that it's a gimmick that really can get very old very fast right um but the art by pete woods is lovely mm. lovely 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 stuff and who wrote it uh fabian Nachiza. oh interesting um it's it's competent i'm such a legion fan that i'll pick it up in future to see where it goes sure and uh, especially with pete woods on art yeah exactly um but it's it's i would be really surprised by someone picking up Call of the legion who thinks that it's great and you have to read it again? I, I it, it really is playing to the Legion fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, as is Green Lantern. Hmm. Although Green Lantern is also kind of the perfect comic for people who saw the film and wanted to read a Green Lantern comic. Right. It sort of seemed like it was positioning itself it's, as that. It's spectacular uh, mm-hmm. for that. It's really genuinely very good. Hmm. Um. And I kind of like their twist. I don't know where Jeff Johns has suddenly decided that he can have fun with Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. But um, not only do we get Dick Hal Jordan in Justice League, we get Dick Hal Jordan in Green Lantern as well. <laughs> in that he manages to make Carol think that he's going to ask her to marry him. And instead he asks her to go sign a loan for a car. <laughs> So he's, he's not dealing very well with being not Green Lantern. Meanwhile, Sinestro is not dealing very well with not being Sinestro. And the issue ends up basically with Sinestro showing being like, I will make you into Green Lantern again, but you can't tell anyone about it. <laughs> so it's a, like, as a weird comedy. It kind of works. That's kind of great. I have to say, I out of the books that I, I was curious about, that was one that I sort of figured that I would pick up and at least flip through. And I, I would say wait up. wait a while until it's cheaper and digital. Right. Because uh, I think for $1.99, it, it's actually kind of fun. Um, right. Surprise best two books of the week for me, Batman and Robin and Superboy. And Superboy in particular stuns me that I liked it so much. That is stunning, my goodness. Batman Robin is really good purely because it's the Batman Robin comic I've wanted to see since they've decided that it's going to be Bruce Wayne and Damian Wayne. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and also anyone who's wanted to see some development about Bruce getting over his parents' death might want to pick it up as well. Um, it's great. Anyone who wanted to see good interplay between Bruce and Damien, this is like for you. Oh, that's great. Damien is, is a dick, mm-hmm. but Bruce is not really taking it. <laughs> nice. Um, and so Bruce is trying to say, you know, this is what's going on with my parents. They're your grandparents. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. And Damon's like, so what? They're dead. I'm really not that interested. Um, and there, there's there's just a really nice interplay between two of them, two of them. And the plot also seems to play off of Batman Incorporated. Mm. The sort of subplot in this issue, which you can tell is going to become the A plot in the next issue, mm-hmm. um, seems to play off of the fact that people are not very happy that Batman set up a corporation to promote his, promote his agenda. So yeah, it really, it's the Grant Morrison, it's the post Grant Morrison Batman book that I think a lot of people have been waiting for. Well, it's yeah, it's one of the. I think I saw a review online where somebody was like, because it's it's Pete Tomasi still, right? Yes, it's Pete Tomasi and um, Pat Gleason. Ah, and they were kind of like, yeah, this finally delivered. Tomasi's finally delivering the Batman and Robin book I want to read. So. Yeah, it's it's really really surprisingly strong. Uh, as surprisingly strong Superboy, which I genuinely did not expect to be the book that it is. Wow. Um, the setup of Superboy is that Superboy, it, like he was when he last appeared, has a clone that's been is a clone that's been grown. Yeah. Um, from Superman's cells and someone else's. They don't say who the someone else is. Mm-hmm. What makes it awesome is Superboy, mm-hmm. who pretty much has no morals. <laughs> Not in sense of he's evil. He just mm-hmm. doesn't have a moral structure. Hmm. So all he wants is to be free. Mm-hmm. And the, the end of the issue is essentially the government are like, well, we're going to use him to spy on the Teen Titans. And his narration is, if that's what it takes for me to be free, sure. Right. He has a dream state where he's he's put into virtual reality to essentially try and prompt his supermanness. Mm-hmm. And he's just completely selfish. Like he ignores people dying beside him. Hmm. He doesn't even react. And you have the people who are watching this going, "Who whose DNA was he given? He must have been given Superman and a complete narcissist. We don't know who it is, but it's fucked up with his moral structure." <laughs> Interesting. So it's, well. a, it's really it's this really odd science fiction book. Somebody's a Scott Lobdell fan now. Yeah, who knew, huh? <laughs> That's fantastic. That's really it doesn't make me feel incredibly excited about Teen Titans. I still have to be said, but um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's there's a lot about this that I really genuinely enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, you get to see Caitlin Fairchild from Gen Thirteen. And you get to see Rose Wilson for all the continuity addicts. Right. Very exciting. Um, and I also love Project Nowhere, and I can't tell if that's an old DC thing or a new DC thing, but that's that's where they're growing him. That does sound familiar, although I, I think I'm thinking of Doom Patrol, because there was the Men from Nowhere. Yeah, no, exactly, and I'm wondering if it's the same thing, to be perfectly honest with you. That would be kind of delightful. Um, and I the art is also great. The art is by R.B. Silva, who did the Superman one-shot, which was the new in action. Um, and it's, it's just a nice-looking book. It's... It's it's really nice. I'm I'm genuinely surprised that it's really nice. Huh. Well, that is fantastic. 
All right. What else? Or do you want me to talk for a while? Because I've got a couple of books that you haven't read. That Go! Go! Okay. Not only are these books that you haven't read, these are books you probably will not read. So this will be so oh, even better for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. X-Men 15. I'm sorry. Uncanny X-Force 15. What is wrong with me blowing the titles on this? Uh, by Rick Remender, the fucking fantastic Jerome Opinia. Uh, it is just the most gorgeous looking book it is absurd and frankly Remender kicks it into crazy ass overdrive there has been this whole storyline that has been building more or less for um, the last I guess five issues or so where uh, they've been building toward forever where Archangel has become the new heir of Apocalypse and he and uh, Dark Beast wasn't Archangel always the heir to Apocalypse? Well, see, this is it. He was supposed to be, and then, of course, he got rescued and blah, 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 and deprogrammed. And the, the Uncanny X-Force, this this series anyway, because I haven't followed it closely enough beforehand, but in Remender's run on this book, it starts off very much where the, I do, the idea behind this secret team is to stop the return of Apocalypse, and everyone is quite worried about Warren... Uh, as Archangel because he seems to be manifesting. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be on the verge of it and he's having a love affair with Psylocke who's trying to psychically help him, you know, suppress these things. And they, they've now moved into full four. So he and um, Dark Beast and uh, the new horsemen, uh, four horsemen, have used uh, the world, you know, that wacky little Grant Morrison bit where Phantom X comes from and is using that to uh, essentially create a new world a a completely different mutated timeline um, in a small patch of uh, Kansas that they have first wiped out you know of all human life and they're using all sorts of blah blah so it's like a very high end mix of Grant Morrison gabbity speak uh, and just absolutely luscious visual visuals. I mean, it's kind of like looking at if if you can imagine a Marvel superhero book uh, that uh, a Marvel superhero story that ran in the pages of Heavy Metal magazine back in like 1982. That's what you would be looking at. That here. is the is the pull quote. Yeah, exactly. that's a great description. It's it really I think it lives up to that description. It is just absolutely filled with berserk ideas, you know. It's got it totally has, you know, fan service, you know, Deadpool and uh Deathlock and Phantom X are all really enjoyable, interesting characters. All the odds seem uh completely impossible and set against them. And it's just a gorgeous book. I really was halfway through it going, I cannot believe that I'm enjoying this as much as I am. It is really, really good. Um, I knew that I would like it because Opinia did the opening arc uh, in X-Force, and it was beautiful, and then he was gone for the last, I don't know, like seven issues, six issues after that. But his return to this book remained you know, seems to coincide with Remender really kicking things up a notch, and it is, it's really a crazy ass little book. Like, but, but uh, Remender does like crazy really well. He does. You know I mean, do like he really does the, well. but also not 
out of nowhere crazy. He does crazy that fits really well within the fictional universe he's taking place in. Exactly. Like his, his Punisher was, yeah. was great for that. His Punisher was just like, hey, this shouldn't make sense. However, it kind of fits in with everything else you've been told. Right, exactly. So the fact that he has actually taken some of these disparate strands of Grant Morrison's storylines and some stuff that Jason Aaron's done and some stuff that he's built on and tied it in with the Age of Apocalypse, you just have a very... It's, it is its own mutant. And uh, uh, now with the art at this level, it just was... It was just shockingly great. Um, Punisher Max issue 17, which is the first storyline, the first of a new storyline. I had been just on pins and needles through the previous storyline, which I think I had ranted to you about before. I was a little quasi nonplussed by the conclusion of it, Mm -hmm. in part because it had been building toward for such a long time. But this next storyline where the Punisher is out of prison, but has absolutely nothing not not a single cent to his name and how he begins his process of um of getting ready to commit vengeance is really satisfying also there's a subplot that is being built with the kingpin where i kind of thought i knew where it was going and there's a, a very nice little twist having said that i think anyone would be able to figure it out but i i didn't see it coming and uh it's just it's a very strong book some people who like um who liked uh, what did it remind me? Richard Stark's uh, The Hunter, which ended up being yeah. made as Point Blank, will get a kick out of this because it it has it just about lines up perfectly in terms of its tone and is a great crime book. The book that surprised me by me being super nonplussed by and and almost like I said, talking about that thing of like you go in wanting to like it and then you reread this. I reread it twice. Criminal Last of the Innocent number four. I thought. Oh, really? You, you were loving that. I know. I know. I was. And I thought I thought he tanked it uh, at the end. Interestingly enough, I weirdly, I thought both Brubaker and Phillips kind of screwed the pooch on this one. There's a few points where um, Phillips had been doing this sort of, you know, Archie style, almost somewhere between Archie and Jaime Hernandez doing Dan DiCarlo style for the flashback sequences mm-hmm. that are gorgeous, and they are gorgeous every point that they pop up here. But there's a lot of scenes set in the real time where he, he just screws the anatomy. Like, there's there's a page where, and it's interesting, like, there's a page where two characters are cavorting naked uh, in the water. And they look... I've never seen two human beings drawn so awkwardly in my life. Like, it really is, like, weird, like, uh, shots awkward, were... Awkward how? Um, they look like Gumby and Pokey, <laughs> basically. Oh, awkward like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's there's a shot where uh, where I think it might even be the same couple is kissing... And suddenly the woman's got, again, like some sort of weird pokey face. Like her face is just too long. And he just, you know, it's one of those things where Phillips is just so dead on, I think, with his facial expressions, at least to me, that when he screws it up, you realize how rarely he does. But it's so, so noticeable. But even worse, I think that um, I think Brubaker fucked the issue. Uh, he had been building his storyline toward this, um, you know, 
taking sort of this Archie-esque style um, memories of this kid's youth. And in his youth, he very much is, everyone works very well with sort of Archie analogs, which the flashback art is then sort of drawn like. Um, So the crime twists that end up developing out of this sort of very simple kind of, you know, what if Archie had married Veronica and was a miserable son of a bitch is is a good idea, sort of a good plot, but this last issue where it looks like the guy has gotten away with the perfect crime and the tension is whether or not he's going to get away with it, Brubaker really screws the pooch. It's like there's a couple of things where it's like he gets to issue four and went, oh, shit, God, I was supposed to put that flashback in issue two and I I forgot. I'll just put it in four pages here and it, it will totally make sense at the end of the issue. And it's one of those things where it's like seeing it in this position in the issue, you instantly know how the rest of the comic's going to go. Um, and the only reason, the only areas where I was surprised were basically where he 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 spends too much time. He has a long sequence where a private detective shows up who seems to know the truth and it's it's interesting the way that Brubaker breaks it down because on the one hand he is riffing on both those sequences when that happens in film noir and also weirdly Encyclopedia Brown mysteries which is kind of hilarious um, the this the secret here the private detective's name is Brit Black and the Brit stands for I'm sure Britannica because his whole Unfortunately, the only way that you know that is the character says some like really weird stuff that kind of blurts out of nowhere to sort of point so you can untangle who he's supposed to be. And it's really awkward. And in fact, that sequence goes on so long that um, basically if this had been stretched out into five issues and paced a little bit better, I think I it would have been great. But for whatever reason, Brubaker and Phillips were either under the gun or so eager to get on to their next project that Brubaker's teasing on his letters page that it, 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 I didn't like it. He just blew it in a way that really shocked me, that I don't, am not used to seeing from him. And uh, this, is, this is definitely the book where I, I suspect a lot of readers are going to write in and tell me that I'm completely wrong, which I'm okay with. But I was really bummed that I read it twice through and thought that he he dropped the ball on it. Bummed me out. And the other book that bummed me out before we get out to El Grand Bummer, um, Journey into Mystery uh, by Kieran Gillen and which I still um, haven't read, even Richard though I keep meaning to. I'm just going to wait for the collection at this point. Yeah, I can totally understand that. And you know, I think in the collection you'll probably be like, eh, it was fine. But he... really, because because people have loved it. Well, I'm sorry. I, I guess what I mean is this issue, which I didn't like, you'll be like, eh, it was fine. Like, I have, I've loved this book up until the last two issues, which were the point one issue done by someone else, Robert Rohde, I want to say, and this one. And part of the problem is the point one issue was sort of, you know, that classic point one introduction slash fill-in issue that exists outside of the current storyline. Sure. And this itself also seems to... Uh, it's all about fear itself um, and all about it, it's a story told by Mephisto mm-hmm. um, and about sort of Mephisto's 
machinations behind the scenes of fear itself and sort of setting up like essentially kind of a what's happening with the rest of all the rest of the other mythologies and how do they care and how do they fit into things and it not only does it derail it seems to me the narrative that had been going on like it's it just trips things up but it's also kind of even though it's just the art is actually quite nice and very clean and sort of a classic style um it's really lovely it's got you know pages of it have which i think is um fitting for a, a story about mephisto has sort of a classic almost john basima look to the character um just Who really is, who's the lines it is uh, Richard Elson. Oh, wow. Yeah, very, very, very strong. Uh, Unless I'm completely misremembering my name. He's like an old 2018 guy. Oh, is he? Yeah, and he was awesome back in the day, if it's the guy I'm thinking of. Well, I, his his work is super clean and very atmospheric. Uh, and it's I think it's um, really aided by some very nice, bold color, coloring choices by uh, Rachel Rosenberg or Rachel Rosenberg. I can't quite tell how to pronounce that with the spelling. But, uh, yeah, the story just kind of... It was it was kind of draggy. It, it, if it had been yoked to something else, like, I think in, in Journey into Mystery, Gillen, ha, ha, his stories are very packed with telling. I mean, it's... I can see why Hibbs compared him to Neil Gaiman, frankly, because there's a lot, a lot... Of telling and ex- characters in exposition telling stories to one another. Mm-hmm. What helps is that those stories are always being used to kind of manipulate each other, which also happens here, but also with the purpose of furthering some grander plan or scheme. That's also happening here, but because it's not the other issues of Journey into Mystery, each one sort of built incrementally on this one, on, on each one, and this feels like. Gillen's trying to get a separate domino chain going here, and it just, like I said, following on the the, the heels of the point one issue, I just thought it was like it it just it just ended in the wrong it just it's it's in the wrong place. I'm like it would have been fine if it'd been the start of another arc, but I'm like yeah 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 I don't care about any of this. I want to get back to Loki's quest and everything else that he's going on. Like the, it it was a very a very beautifully drawn well-written two-page subplot from, you know, or even a one-page subplot from a Marvel comic from the 80s, you know? (laughs) So I was very frustrated because I've really enjoyed the issue up till then. And it also seemed to suffer from being tied into bump, 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 fear itself, fear itself. So <laughs> I love the idea that that's your implication. That's what the main series is called. Because everything else is fear itself, Spider-Man. This is fear itself, fear itself. Yeah, I actually meant to say fear itself itself, and then somehow I tripped up and said... You included and, fear as well? Yeah, I, I did. Before I, we go on to that, I just want to throw something out for you. Please do. I read Drifting Classroom Volume 1. Dude! I, th- I think you're crazy. <laughs> You didn't why, love it? Why, why did you not tell me that it was like a showcase Batman story from like the 1950s, but more nihilistic and infinitely slower? Um, I don't know. I guess because I just didn't have that good a handle on how to sell it to you. <laughs> no, no, no. That wouldn't have sold it to me. I thought it was fine. I am probably not going to read it anymore. 
Oh my god, it gets so much more nihilistic. I um, that's that's why I'm not gonna read it anymore. I know it's gonna get more nihilistic. There's oh there's nothing about that that's gonna to appeal to me. Oh, I love it so Cause, much. Because you know what I don't need to see? I don't need to see Lord of the Flies done really, really slowly. Dude, if it makes you feel better, they really pick up the pace. Plus, like if Lord of the Flies had like children being ripped apart like every other chapter or something. Dude, it's you said again. classroom. You're, you're not selling it to me. Well, I'm so, because I like you're you probably know. selling it to lots of other people. That's just it. Like I, yeah. I can see that lots of people would like this. Honestly, what I got from this was, wow, hasn't manga changed in the let's face it, forty years since this came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty much what I got from it more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you are a similarly sunny-minded individual like Graham, you will probably not enjoy the next 11 issues, excuse me, the, the 11 or so volumes of Drifting Classroom, which is almost like reading the Lemony Snicket series, a series of unfortunate events, without any sense of humor whatsoever. But it is fantastic. It is fantastic. It, it is like reading the the biggest darkest book of fairy tales ever and it somehow is unbelievably gratifying well i I have okay i have to ask you then does the fairy tale part come in later because i didn't get any fairy tale from this first volume well when i say fairy tales i mean sort of the darker more depressing like the fairy tales where like people cut off their own feet to try and fit into the glass slippers and stuff like that if you're so people suffer terribly in this book in the way that people suffer terribly in the original fairy tales in in a way that is it's like Grimm's fairy tales before they got cleaned up and to me to me it ends up working because not only does the end sort of push it sort of into the realm of mythos but just somehow in a weird form of melodrama it's compelling to me now this is going to sound weird but because you're not i know you're not this person graham so i'm definitely not pointing it at you but (laughs) if you are the type of person that watches the texas chainsaw massacre uh like once or twice a year with some weird feeling of like it's like appreciating a fine wine you will actually enjoy drifting classroom for exactly the same reasons it is somehow deeply deeply comforting in its ultimate, ultimate, like, tippy-toeing toward the edge of despair. Drifting Classroom is awesome. Everyone, you guys go. Uh, on your own. <laughs> did I really you, recommend it to you? Did it, yes, you did. Oh, I'm so sorry, Graham. I and guess I must have been carried it's away. It's totally, totally not for me. Um, did you, or have you seen the trailer for Tucker and Dale versus the Evil? No. Oh, go, wait. Go, go and look for that trailer. I think yeah. you a lot of it. <laughs> uh, it is essentially a parody of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th but from the point of view of the white kids the white teens are uh-huh. morons <laughs> so the setup is this party teen gang go to the woods and one of them gets really drunk and gets knocked out and gets rescued by these two rednecks Right. and while they're basically caring for her the other kids think that she has been kidnapped and murdered and decide that they're going to try and save what's left oh, yeah. from right. from the cabin. And right. they all get killed in horrific accidents trying to do that. 
making their friends think that they've been murdered as well. Right. Right, right, right. For some reason, I just found that an incredibly funny trailer. I think you the know, film will be... I think basically the joke is in the trailer, if that makes sense. Right, I noticed right. I see the film, but I think it's a very funny trailer. Yeah, I'll have to look at it. You know, it's one of those weird things where, uh, I, you know, it, it, it's not a rant that I've ever shared with you because I think that it's it's not a rant you would appreciate in any way or maybe even understand. But but Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are such strong sort of overpowering influences on a, on a generation of horror filmmakers in a way that I, I'm kind of frustrated by. Um, I will, because I'm sort of like... Did I see Tucker and Dale versus Evil, or do you, do you know the one that's about the LARPers that actually accidentally um, summon a demon? You know, no, I no, I don't. I saw the trailer for that too, and I'm like, oh, that sort of seems like good fun in this sort of Sam Raimi-esque kind of way. I'm just very bitter because I watched Dead Snow on Netflix, which is about snow Nazi snow zombies. So this should be the movie for Jeff and instead it's the movie for everyone who thinks that Evil Dead 2 is so fucking awesome they watch it six times a week so it didn't really work for me I will check out Tucker and Dale vs. Evil listeners I don't think that Drifting Classroom is anything like it so I please oh no I, I know it's just absolutely, absolutely, absolutely nothing like it at all it <laughs> just reminds me like, what do you think of uh, what do you what do you think of later volumes of Bakuman? Are you still on the bus? Uh, I'm I'm on the bus pretty much because I'm on the bus. Does that make sense? Like there's there's <laughs> yes. nothing in volumes at this point two through four that I've read that would have made me get on the bus had I not already been on the bus. I see. Uh, if I was buying them, I was supposed to read them from the library. I probably wouldn't have bought them past volume two. Mm, interesting. Um, but you know as the you know, ten minute quick read that they are for free. Sure. Oh my god, you don't love the whole like all the the behind the scenes about how the manga are put together and voted on and their attempts to appease and please their like distant editor who of course thinks that they have the potential to be geniuses and them, no, them because being able not, to... none of that seems. Um... It all seems very calculated. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it all seems like we are, we're not letting you in behind the scenes. We are giving you a version of behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. That, mm. for me, it's the difference between being interested in a documentary or being interested in a mockumentary. Ah, uh, fascinating. Um, and a mockumentary is only good depending on who's doing it. Like, as a, as a, a genre by itself it's not right. as inherently interesting as the documentary is. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and so, like, I'm on I'm on board because it's entertaining enough. Uh-huh. But, for example, all the... You have to do the storyboards for the next ten issues. is like... Okay, sure. And I'll, it's, it's also because I am so annoyed by other things yes. that whatever enjoyment I'd have by that is undercut by that annoyance. Oh, boy. Like, I, I'm so annoyed by the fact that basically these kids are the luckiest kids in the world and everyone believes in them yes do you know what I mean like that's just ridiculous no one comes in contact with them without being like you are like you're so determined that you have to succeed which is really frustrating to me as a reader <laughs> dude I love it I, totally I, I, love I it. It, it just it irritates me it would be oh. so much more interesting if any character who was not 
comedically evil and should have a mustache twirl did not believe in his kids actually one of the things I love is, is like five volumes in I think even those characters still believe in those kids no that, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying like it's it's kind of ridiculous it's, mm-hmm. it's you know these kids have an like, incredible journey ahead of them but they don't because everyone wants them to succeed like the goodwill from everyone they encounter really undercuts the idea that they won't succeed uh okay I, I see your point I actually happen to enjoy that a lot because one of the things that surprised me as Bakuman goes on is it actually it seems like it's setting itself up like a grand sort of competition style manga and you know shout, makes various shout outs to, to those types of stories as the books go on but it's actually but then what ends up happening is they form com- communities you know like the the manga community such that even the super big you know younger crazier character that you're that you're going to meet that you assume is like oh okay this is their antithesis and also sort of the default bad guy because he has no moral character or hasn't suffered is in fact actually kind of strangely delightful um I yeah, actually that's, that's already that. happened. Like, so the, the kid's genius who's who's introduced mm-hmm. way back in the first volume. They're like, this will be my nemesis. He's like, right. I think you're great. I want you to succeed. And then they introduce like his, his ghost artists. And they're like, right. this will be your nemesis. And he's like, I think you've got something here. I think you will succeed. And <laughs> anyone who is not saying that to them, and in fact, even those people, is such a crazy caricature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, everyone is a caricature. There's no characters in this book. Um, but, like, for example, the 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 uh, author who wrote for the the girl manga, who then decided she was going to write for the the boy manga. Yes, I can't remember her name. Um, mm-hmm. like, like she's she's not even a caricature. Do you know what I mean? Like she she is someone whose job is to come on and be sniffy for two panels, <laughs> and then lose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it would be so much more interesting a story if, at any point, I believed that they weren't going to make it. Their own enemies are themselves, because you can tell at some point they're going to get success, and then they're going to be like, "This isn't good enough. We will stop it." Because that—that's what they do. That's the setup of the entire series. That everyone will succeed, and then at some point they will get in their own way, and that's where the drama has come from. Yeah, I can. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, I. You're like, what's the problem with that? I was about to say, I'm like, that's just like life. Graham just is happily no, but it's stuck. brought like... by an alternative dimension where things don't actually, you know, seem to happen with real characters. No, but no, 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 no. It's, it's saying, like, that would be like life if life was actually. If Jeff, taking you for an example, oh you dear. Say, I want to become a comic writer. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And every single person you meet. Right. says, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Do this work and then I will get it in print. Right. While I believe that sure, you would be like, I can do better on every single draft because I know you. Yes, thank you. I also know that you will never be met by everyone telling you that you're doing a great job. No, but I still am probably my own worst enemy above that's, everyone else. That's fine. You're not your only enemy is my point. Whereas in Bakuman, their only enemy is themselves 
Definitely by volume four. There Dude, was, and was, straight through to volume six. Straight through to, I mean, I'm definitely... I actually, I actually have volume six waiting for me in the library, so I'll get there eventually. There we go, lovely. Um, yeah, I but just... That's what I mean, like, I'll keep reading because it's entertaining, but I, I'm not on board the Black Man Love Train. Yeah, it sounds like you're not, which is kind of a shame. Kind of a shame. I thought that you would you would eat it up. I can I, see I, why I you're not. But I would. Everyone talking about it made me so excited, and I love Death Note. Mm-hmm. But it's just not working for me. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, I uh, I I appreciate you sticking on it. It'd be great if you've got some sort of road to Damascus style conversion later on down the road. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, frankly. <laughs> You're like, it's great if that happens. It won't. It won't, but it might, because you know, because that's what I like about you, Graham. You're a very unique snowflake. I can never like. I can usually. I, I'm I like s- to call myself changeable. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that too. I don't know. I suppose it sounds a, a a little more masculine than unique snowflake. But you know, I I just think that you know I it's it's only been after a matter of years, you know, of us talking that I'm actually able to start being able to call what you'll like and not like with any degree of accuracy. I kind of thought that you would like this as the sort of frothy comedy like. I thought of, so. did I. Mm-hmm. And that's just not what happened. And it's not, yes, exactly. Not what happened at all. Speaking of things that didn't happen, let's talk about Fear Itself number six. What didn't happen in Fear Itself number six? Oh, that's right. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Fear Itself number six. Fear Itself at this point has become for me like a masterpiece of something I'm just not interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh... It's, it's, doing, it's doing what it wants to do really glossily and quote-unquote well, but it's just, I mean, Fear Itself 6 felt like a parody of Brightest Day or Blackest Night, right? It's not just me. Uh, gee, it's funny. I didn't actually think of it in comparison to Blackest Night at all by this point. I'm thinking of it as its own broken thing, which is funny, because to me, I would disagree. I know you'd actually said something kind of like this very quickly in in an email that, you know, I figured we would get elaboration on. But for for me, Fear Itself, number six, arguably is the issue that I might have liked the most and is the most broken. Like, I honestly think that what Fraction thinks that he's doing and what he's actually doing are so disparate because you're like oh what he's trying to do is he's just trying to write scenes that make you think oh gee that guy is cool um you know and I'm like your crucial point was without having any real sense of who those characters are you know to me undermines it I mean this to me Fear Itself number six apart from the too long scene with Thor and Odin that I actually sort of liked because I've just seen the movie a few weeks ago um, the rest of it felt like, you know, Kick Puncher, the return of Punch Kicker. You know what I mean? Like, it really did feel at every stage like it was, like, ho ho, here comes my tagline. Ho ho, here comes my oh, very it, cool, it, it, you know. Captain America is the tagline machine. In this oh my also, god. Also, I have to say, to the second last page, the shot of Captain America holding up a gun for the first time. Yes. I know he's not, but it kind of looks like Stuart Eminem is taking the piss. Because Captain America's head shrinks significantly in that battle. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Are you looking at it? Yeah, 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 yeah. His, his head just shrinks. Yeah. And I know that he's not making fun of the book. Because mm-hmm. that's not what he does. 
But I love how small Captain America's head is in that battle. Actually, you know, the thing that strikes me, and this is going to sound um, really perverse, is how small his waist is and how big his belt is. You know, in that very same shot. Like, or, that's... If, if we're talking about that shot, the crotch bulge. Oh, yeah, you're right. The crotch bulge is kind of significant there. Yeah, the, like Captain America's package there, between that and the very last panel on the last page where he's holding up the gun, I'm just like... Really, I it it's like it's like they like I did, somehow something between the belt crotch and that angle. I'm like, oh my god, these guys are totally like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be de- awesome. It's going to be like Walking Tall with Joe Don Baker. And I'm like, really, Captain America, like walking, like Joe Don I, Baker, I love Walking Tall. Captain America goes and grabs a gun. And this is like, let's get a gun because. <laughs> You know, helicopters have been flown into these guys. And Dude, it's just, it's I, know. Do. I know, I know. Did, did you see my um, best case scenario ending that I said on Twitter yesterday? Oh, no, I didn't. I'm telling you, I've worked out the perfect way to finish for yourself. Okay. And I, after I said it, I had a moment of, I really hope that's, this is not what they're going to do. Do you okay. remember the opening of the first issue? Uh, with the riot? There's, no, 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 no. With the family getting into the car because they can't find work? Yes. That car runs into the serpent and kills him. Because, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you don't put an unemployed family in an SUV on the mantelpiece if yes. they're to run someone over in the last act. In the last act, for sure, for sure. But, so I said that as a joke on Twitter, and then I was like... Holy shit! I really hope they don't do something like that. Oh, I In hope not either. Because Carla Hoffman was like, "That's a Bendis ending," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit! It kind of is." I really, they're not going to do that. That's hilarious. But no, I I, lo- I love the fact that Cap like picks up the guns. I love the Cap. The fact that Cap in this issue is just a dick. He's like, "I'm going to shout at you one and fix him." Right. I, it's. I mean, he's he's a dick. He's not Captain America. The things are just stupid. Like it's the stupid. Everything about this book was so stupid. The idea, like we've watched this weird amorphous enemy that is invulnerable to bullets, you know, but somehow, of course, can be punched out by the Avengers and all the various tie-ins or whatever, you know, like be able to lay siege to the Earth. Captain America, what I love is is the fact that he, like, grabs the guns and says, I'm raising a militia, and then the, the last page shows all those people running off. Like, I, I kind of love the, I'm like, it's a militia like, of one. Militia. Uh, no, I'm not. Well, no, militia? Not. Where are you going? <laughs> Hello, guys? Yeah, no. Uh, actually, I think someone, when I made, I mentioned that page, I think maybe it was was Tater Pie who, uh, on Twitter, who's I think has really been dead on recently. She was like, well, maybe Tony Stark is like making bullets up in Asgard. Yeah, which, like, which would be a great idea, but but he hasn't. See, he has Fear right. Six makes no Fear Six makes no sense for the following reasons. One, why does Captain America think they failed when presumably he knows that Iron Man has gone to Odin to make weapons? Right. Why doesn't he? Why doesn't that get mentioned ever? Or does he think that Iron Man has just run away? Again, right. why doesn't that get mentioned ever? Well, Two. in fa- fact, I, I do want to point out, not not to interrupt you, but there is that scene where he says to Hawkeye, like, they'll be here. Like, Iron Man and Thor are both showing up. He's like, they'll be here, Clint. Don't worry about it. It's like, 
Well, then why don't you tell somebody, you fucking asshole? You know, it really was kind of that. So anyway, so yes, apparently he thinks that they have, except when he thinks that they haven't. But yes, go on. Wait, where does he say that? He says that on the scene with um, where he's talking to Hawkeye right before the page where the before he gathers the militia. What does he? Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, where he's talking to the, the wrong other part Avengers. of because that makes mm-hmm. no sense. Oh, yeah, they yeah. Are. they'll be here. Yeah, so why does he think they failed? Like, I, it's, And also, last issues, we saw the thing be healed by Franklin. Mm-hmm. Why does no one mention that again? Oh, yeah. Because that's a pretty fucking big thing to drop on someone and never mention again. Oh, yeah. I, he, like, that's, that's enormous that it does mm-hmm. not happen. Even the serpent isn't like, oh, I lost a dude, but who cares? He's just like, everyone's like, it's like it never happened. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of stunning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, just in terms of pacing, I can't believe that the Mighties don't appear in this issue. This issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just makes us think that either issue seven is going to have to be double-sized, or the Mighty are pretty much going to be worthless and were created to sell toys. Um... Probably both. I mean, definitely the way that uh, Fraction keeps talk- talking about how we did nine issues of content and seven issues and we're shipping on time thing makes me think that Fear Itself will be, the last issue will be double-sized. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I kind of like this scene with Odin and uh, his son, but... I mean, it makes no sense from the way that Odin's been... Car- I, Odin's the most abusive dad-slash-asshole in the history of abusive dad-slash-assholes for him he, to be, he, like... He's a malfraction father. Oh, even... Yeah, but worse. I mean, just really, like, it, it'd be fine if he was an asshole through and through, but his whole thing of, like, my boy, my boy, everything depends... You don't know because you're not a father and everything matters yeah, if you have a son... <laughs> I tell you, once again, Matt Fraction has issues. Yeah. Uh, like, he really fucking does. Uh, if, I, if I was Matt Fraction's child, reading this would terrify me. It'd <laughs> be like, oh, what the fuck am I in store for? Jesus, God. Yeah, he, it's it's just, it's it's a hot mess, except it's not hot, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a cold oh, mess. Isn't, isn't going to catch on? No, I don't. I don't yeah, also, oh, can yeah. I just say, the um, Spider-Man scene, it's hilarious. Yes! Oh my god, what kind of bullshit was that? Like, nothing. It's like, hey guys, I'm leaving the fight because we're going to lose. It's, so I'm just going to leave, right? And then he goes and fights that way and she's like, you're going to go back into the fight? And he's like, yes, ma'am. I sure am, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that, the only way that makes sense is if he had a bet that he lost to put Aunt May something in the series. Right. Yeah, it's like, can you fit Aunt May? And the sequence is so bad because it really is that stage of, like, I just checked the bridge a few hundred times because, I mean, it's it's supposed to be funny that his excuse is falling apart while he's saying it because it just makes no sense. And the the subtext, I think the subtext here that he's trying to build is kind of like Aunt May does know or she catches on at that moment that he's yeah, really yeah she, she, she has to know because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the way they play it but I was also like that is again it's just it's dumb like it really puts it it just biffs it just puts that that Aunt May Peter Parker relationship once again back into that awkward 
box that like unless Dan Slott just goes on to completely ignore that that happened which I'm sure he's going to I think he is I think he is just the same way that uh, I mean this is this has just been such a sloppy horrible book and this issue really was I didn't think anything was going to outdumb the conclusion of Flashpoint but I think Fear itself has a really good shot Oh no, I I still think uh, Flashpoint is, is much much worse. I, I this issue is this issue feels like a massive misstep because I know what he's trying to do. I know he's trying to do the calm before the storm. Yes, exactly. But it sucks all the momentum out of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the momentum is kind of all the book had going for it. Well, frankly, the momentum part of the reason why it sucks all the momentum out is the momentum has always been arbitrary. Yeah, throughout the momentum the entire Yeah. So there is no calm before the storm when you've had five issues of fake storm. You know, it's just you're like, all right. So yeah, it just it just lets all the air out of the tires. And again, it's just so fil- it really to me feels like somebody's bad first draft screenplay, or maybe even a screenplay that would sell because it's got it's just so. It's, it's got it's got all the right lines. moments. It's got all the you know you're my son and I love you. Mm-hmm. It's got the, you fix him, Odin, because I'm Captain America and I'm pointing my finger at you. Like, the fact that Odin even says, uh, excuse me, I'm like, yeah, like, that would, like, that's really going to happen. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious. It's like, Odin has never had anyone talk back to him. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's, the, like, that's the way it's supposed to be sold. It's supposed uh-huh. to be sold as everyone is afraid of Odin. Yeah. Which, again, makes no sense if you've ever read any story with Odin in it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Odin's story is always that someone is standing up to him. Yeah. And so the idea that he's just like, you human? I okay, uh sure, I'll do that. Like um, no. I... And also it doesn't make sense within this series because do you know who stood up to Odin a couple of issues ago? Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the same sort of pointing. At least yeah, it's kind at least of, he impressed kind him with theory. his counting skills. You know, like, <laughs> but it is kind of hilarious. Like the idea, if you had only ever come, like met Odin in fear itself, mm-hmm. you'd be like, so he's kind of a coward right. who gets flustered anytime anyone points at him. Yeah, basically, he's <laughs> afraid of fingers, and he will not hesitate to teleport people. Uh, except Thor, he makes f- fall from the sky a lot, and uh, and everyone else, he just zips back really bad I mean it's really bad like Odin is so close to being like one of the 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 uncles from Bewitched you know the, the TV <laughs> show like really he's like Paul Lynn's character in, like, oh my god wouldn't that be great that would be great if Odin just appeared in mirrors in Thor from now on <laughs> that, that would be kind of awesome Thor, Thor's like what am I supposed to do now and Odin just appears in his mirror and he's like I'm traveling around America that's right. And I'm king. <laughs> that was Paul Lynn's entire joke. In that is Paul Lynn's entire joke. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out if I can, it's like, I'm can like, I, ah, Paul impression. Can I was going to go for it, but it's going to end up sounding like Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, please do it anyway. Okay, Charles Nelson Riley, I can do. Actually, was he in Bewitched as well, or he wasn't? I have yeah, no, no, no. No, because okay. Paul Lynn's got the same sort of nah, so it's sort of like looks like you're gonna have to save Asgard nah, kind of thing but like I said it's oh my know. god that's that's the opener that's the opener to the episode <laughs> also here's my question yes Tony Stark's making these weapons right and he's like yeah I've made them for the Avengers why don't he just make more 
I, time, I don't know. I mean, it's convenient. Also, I saw the list because I saw the blurb online of who he chose. And oh, like, have you not seen the image? I, I saw the image. I saw the complete image on like Bleeding Cool or something. And I was like, oh, come on. You know, because that's the other thing. It's like, okay, I am Tony Stark. I have the chance to build a super suit of, Arden, of, of armor powered by Asgardian magic and science. I'm going to give that to the Black Widow. You know what I mean? Like, there's just something that seems really dumb about that to me. <laughs> Never you like, know? not even that. I'm going to give a suit of armor to Wolverine, who can heal, and yeah. to Iron Fist. I know, I Iron Fist. Those are strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know, believe me. I know, I, God, I know. Dude, seriously, looking at the lineup, I was like, come on, you've got, I just, I cannot believe in any sort of earth where, like, he's going to sit there and be like, hmm, I've really been impressed with Iron Fist's acumen, and since he's a living weapon, I'm going to give him other weapons. Exactly, because Iron Fist likes to punch things, so what if I give him, like, a thing in a chain? Yeah. Because he'll be really good at that. I mean, it really does have that moment of like, I have seen a bunch of kung fu movies and I dig that chain thing. We can do something with that. I mean, really, at every stage. Oh, I know. Oh, God, I know. So he he can stick to things and he's got web shooters. What if they were Asgardian powered web shooters? Mm, Then he could web across the planet. Like at each step. I mean, just from the level of like, I'm like, you're not going to put like Thor and Captain America? Like, you know, that's just it. Why aren't you making. Well, it's Thor I can see because he's got his hammer already. Where's Captain America's? Yeah. That makes no sense. It also makes no sense. So I've made one for She-Hulk. I, I know. Like, the female She-Hulk. Like, like, you've not even seen. Yeah, yeah, you've never talked to. I think she needs armor. Like, I'm really shocked. Like, at this level, it's like, it's a good thing you didn't have more time. Because it's like, Fear Itself 7 rolls around. It's like, oh, pff, by the way, Jarvis, I forgot to tell you. There's this suit of armor I built for you. Jarvis, you I don't to think make- so. Jarvis is a bit too, like, big name. American Eagle, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> D-Man, finally, Aguila. I made a suit of armor for you. Oh, El Aguila. That would be the best. Yeah, you know I mean? like, that's, that's, that's who you'd end up with. He'd be like, you fly and have a sword, so I have made you an Asgardian cannon. <laughs> but it comes with a jetpack. Also, the yogurt is cursed. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, that is hilarious, Graham. Oh my god. But yeah, just, so. Uh, so much of yourself. I, this is one of those times where, you know, how you always get Marvel editors being like, the difference between our t- uh, crossover events and DC's is you don't have to read the crossovers for hours. Right. I haven't read any of yourself crossover apart from the, maybe the, like the first month I read the first issues. Yeah. But I haven't read any of the conclusions. Yep. Not reading the crossovers, Fear Itself yep. is the most scattered nonsensical yep. story. Nonsensical ever people pop up with no reason or explanation. I totally or agree. things get set up that never get resolved. Right, right, because you're not following the miniseries, and yeah, no, it's absolutely it's a disaster. It's a disaster, and it really feels hacked out to me. Like this, yeah, you was... were saying, you were saying like this is the book that's made you think Matt Fraction is a hack. Yeah. 
Yeah, this actually just about introduced hack back into my lexicon, and I really hate to play that card. So, so why? Explain. Not, not why do you hate to play that card, but why does it make him a hack? It, to me, because he is not vested in the story as a story. It's a series of points that he has to hit and get out. And also, to me, a hack is somebody who takes inordinate amounts of pride on getting it in on time of delivering exactly what people wanted and also uh, I think when hacks miss their mark it's because they have so little of themselves put into the book that they just think oh this is good this is what everyone wants this is what the audience wants you're trying so hard to give the audience what they want that when you misjudge it, you you have no internal sense because it doesn't work for you. Now, admittedly, I, I really think that this is too harsh because up until now, I've been very, 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 very quick to say that Fraction just hasn't written enough of this stuff and he's just green, you know? That a lot of the mistakes that, that, that a hack can make... <laughs> The, the new guy can make too and in fact usually a hack is able to give you some level has some unless they're terrible can have some sense of like oh well this is what they want and or I'm so used to being able to just turn this stuff out that they get like in theory the new ultimate Spider-Man was more hacky in a way because you can just see it coming each scene you know where it's going to go pretty much from the first panel and it gets there because he's just giving you what you want and what he thinks you want on a deadline, but so I, I really am very uncomfortable. I think maybe I, I'm I'm going overboard, but my first thing is after all these stupid taglines falling out of Captain America's mouth and all these various moments that just seem so flat and bad, I was like, this is just trying to give us what he thinks we want, but he doesn't want any of this at all because if he did he would know that it's not working you know but i i I do forget you know because i've you get lost in the weeds and you at a certain stage you think what you're turning out is great because you don't know or you're you're not distanced enough from the material or you're working too close to the edge and you turn out stuff that you just think is shitty and you never get a chance to put it away in a drawer and open it up three days later and go, oh, this is horrible. You know, you're just working too close to the deadline. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I have to rescind my official cry of hack towards Fraction. Although Matt Haction is a really cruel nickname that would be sort of fun to whip around. But I, I'm not <laughs> willing to, I'm not willing to go there. I'm, I, you know, but I'm, I, you're really close. <laughs> I'm. I cannot tell you how frustrated and severely disappointed in in Fraction I am, uh, which is impressive to me because I really didn't think I was that invested at all. You know, I mean. So yeah. Okay, but why are you disappointed? Just because you expect you want it better, or you expect it better? <sighs> That's a good question. Which is weird, because I don't think I expected better, and I'm not... I mean, certainly in a best-case scenario, I would want better. But, um... I guess because it is so far afield from... It's this weird dissonance of, like, 
this is not what I think Fractured would want at all, and it's also not what I think really anyone except maybe Tom Brevoort wants at all. So, therefore, it's really quick for me to jump to, like, oh, this is disappointing and hacky. I guess what I was expecting was... um, I was expecting it to either just slide into utter lunacy by now, or I guess I was expecting it to be kind of by the numbers, but fine. But every page... I mean, I think literally every page of issue six um, suffers from because I said so syndrome. You know? It's like... But what's funny about that is Fraction has actually said that. Mm-hmm. Remember he did his defense of Spider-Man running away was, look, it happened. People said it couldn't happen, but it happened. Yeah. Like, I think that I think that's the way... And it's not um, Fraction. That's the thing. I think it's Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Marvel now officially runs on they said it couldn't happen well it just happened so what do you say now <laughs> yeah basically yeah no it's true I I do feel like there is <laughs> there's a little bit of the god who again I wish I had my you know Twitter feed up and in front of me and favorited all this stuff because there's that stage where somebody was like you know sort of like shut up and like this crap that we're giving you because we say you're going to like it kind of thing, you know, is really um, maybe overstating it a little, but kind of only a little. Yeah, exactly. Really... It's not a massive overstatement, which is the problem. Yeah, I, and that it that really is a problem. So I guess I just was not expecting... I wasn't expecting much from Fear Itself, but I was expecting not much in a... I don't know. You know, again, it's worth qualifying that I have not read Siege. I did not read Secret Invasion, except for the first issue or two issues. You know, I don't think that I've read a big event since... Literally since I quit on Civil War, like four issues in, or something like that. So it's really possible to say that this is, like you said, this is just Marvel, and frankly, this isn't even necessarily bad event Marvel. This is just... This is just how they roll, you know? But, oh my god, I just find it so dispiriting, you know? It really is just... It, it left a foul t- taste in my mouth. Um, so you're not going to be picking up all these Shattered Heroes one-shots to come out of it? <laughs> well, of course I am, Graham. No, I mean, believe me, I'm getting through issue 7, and anything else will be read from a safe distance away. I do love the fact that God, who, who? Oh, please let me get on here quick enough. Um, Joey, I think it was Joey. Uh, it was, it was Joey uh, Alicio. I'm going to screw up his name. Who goes on Twitter under Malpractice One, and who uh, co-hosts the, the pretty excellent Chemical Box podcast with Alec Berry. He was like, "Well, then, why are you guys still reading it?" And I was like wow, that's a really good question, isn't it? I'm like, so it's like I'm reading it to get to the end of it, and then I'm out. Or or I'm I'm out in a way that I can read it from the stands and then sort of mirthlessly laugh the next time you bring it up. So, <laughs> And on that um, note... Yeah, on that mirthless laughter note... Let me mention um, some quick thank yous, if you don't mind, Graham, and then we... No, do it, do it, do it. Okay, do it. so... 
because I'm so far behind replying to people this week. I have, oh, I am, yeah. I am horrifically getting slaughtered by deadlines this week. I, I figured, I figured you were. So, uh, listeners, I really want to give the heads up to the following individuals who were awesome enough to first uh, the two two of our most recent reviewers on uh, iTunes. We have, we have even more. Uh, no, no, no. These are the good guys from last week that I don't think I, I said, oh, they were great, and I didn't write down their names. Chris Beckett and Jordan Gibson gave us two really great, super um, accurate and thoughtful and even uh, complimentary reviews, and we, we, we thank them for it and heartily encourage anyone else who enjoys the podcast to do the same. Also, the kind souls who have kept us entertained uh, by writing us at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com in the last 10 days or so. Again, Chris Beckett doing double duty. Christopher Peterson, King Megatrip, Mike Walker, Adam Nave, RJ Asiro, John Kane, John Sokol, Matt Turrell, Chad Nevitt, Murray Fox, Colin Ketching, Alan Purcell, David Brown, Gar Berner, Chad Parento, and Jarrett Kobeck. I have so many emails to catch up on. <laughs> <laughs> Get cracking, man. I really man. do. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Actually, you've actually responded to um, uh, the first three or four of those. So I you know, you're only you. okay. well, that's, that's, that's kind of a lot of names over the last ten days. No, I it really, really is. realized. <laughs> yeah, and and thanks. I I of course can't speak for our very busy Graham McMillan, but I I've Hi. been very grateful and enjoyed all of them. I've read them. I just haven't had a chance to respond unless it's been like a really. I seem to remember I made like a really quick response to someone, but yeah, I, I owe all of you proper responses. But I'm I'm honestly just in the weeds. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. And on that mournful note, choke. Uh, I guess we. Choke. Oh, <laughs> we did this in like just over two hours, which considering we've talked about like 17 comics plus uh, Drifting Classroom and Bagaman, I think that's a, a record for us. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it is too. So, well done, you. Uh, yeah. And well no, done, I mean, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We'll see. We'll see if I can figure out a way to edit this into two discrete pieces or something. But, oh, just, um, just whatever. Cut it down the middle. Right. Cut it down. Just split it in half. You'll be like, so I think. Princesses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you can do what they do in Mortal, and like you just put music up, and they'll be like, we'll just stop the conversation there. And... <laughs> That's what he does. Do you not listen to really? Like no, you'll do no, no, no. you split it into multiple parts, and it will be like, don't be. It won't be a good stopping point whatsoever. <laughs> Like, I will stop the conversation there and pick it up next week. And it's just like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Ballsy. That's brilliant. I'll have to listen to 